0: The dental world that we grew up in is changing, and it's going to affect you now. Listen to this episode of What's Next Dentistry to see what's going to happen to your life as a dentist. Thanks for joining us for another edition of What's Next Dentistry. I'm Dr. Mark Sivers from Boston. It's great to have you listening. We'd like to recognize the generous support of laeta.com. Check them out at laeta.com and see how they'll help you be more profitable, have a better work life, and have more time off. In this episode, we're going to tackle some of the tough questions that are going on in dentistry, and that is what we grew up with and what we have known and what our reality is today in dentistry is changing and evolving very quickly. To get an idea of the future, I've gone back to the past, As you connect the dots, it gives a very clear indication of what our future is going to be. So, let's step back together and see where we've come from. Many of you have read or seen pictures about barbers that would take care of people's hair and take care of people's teeth. And they would uh, probably do a better job with the hair than the teeth, but nonetheless, I'm not sure why, but they, by default, became the people that would go to for teeth problems. As they evolved, A branch spun off of them called a dentist and those dentists would actually set up their independent offices and our profession was really born in its own independent sites. With time, dentists realized they could be more efficient and provide a better service if they had an assistant with them and as that evolved they then realized they could divide their work and have someone to clean the teeth and then hygienists came into play. With time though, the hygienists and the assistants were able to work with the dentists, but the dentists and their clientele began to grow, and so they had to add more and more dentists. And many of them had room for an extra dentist so that we then began to see two or maybe three dentists practicing in the same location, and that was the birth of the first group practices. Those group practices were very unique in that every dentist practiced his or her own way. And there was no standardization of their practice. There was no similarities to how they did things necessarily. And I use the analogy of what it must have felt like to go into a restaurant. So if you saw Dr. A, then that doctor would feel perhaps like Taco Bell, if you will. And if you saw Dr. B, that doctor actually might feel like you were going to uh, McDonald's and if if you saw Dr. C, that doctor would feel like they were another much higher end restaurant. Or in other words, there was no standardization of what they did or how they did it, and so it felt like you were going to three different restaurants rather than you were going to the same with a different person performing the task. And so that component Of standardization actually has held dentistry back for a very long time. The way things were done in the back office for all of these dentists was very different and very unique from location to location. And as we sit now and look at what's evolved since these group practices that were not standardized and were not centralized, we see dentists beginning to realize, wow, I can consolidate many services that patients don't see physically or don't interact with physically into one location. And they can actually serve multiple locations. So we then begin begin to see a few of the more entrepreneurial dentists having more than one location. And what they found is they went from one location to two. uh, That was very tricky. And as they went from two to three offices, that was even more challenging. And it wasn't until they got to five or six, even seven offices that they began to see that it actually became a little easier. And what I mean by that is that when you go from one to two or two to three, three to four, et cetera, there's just not enough extra cash spinning off to warrant the addition of centralized team members. And so it, it, it becomes this kind of chicken and the egg, uh, I need to grow, but in growing, I I am having more money, but I don't have enough to justify adding these extra people to centralized services. And so that makes that transition or that jump from one to two, two to three, very challenging. And what we see is once you get to five offices or seven offices, then the whole thing becomes much easier because you can say, great, I'm going to have a COO to overlook all of these practices. I'm not talking about a practice manager, but I'm talking about someone to actually oversee all of them on the back end. Now I can hire enough people for a call center, and most importantly, I can buy a building or I can lease a location to actually put all of these people in, so that you can put your COO there, you can put your call center there, you can have centralized billing, you can have centralized uh, accounts receivable. There's an actual centralized space away from the dental office where all this can take place. You can imagine we're trying to put people to answer the telephone, do accounts receivable, and to also submit to insurance and run our dental practices in prime real estate where we're paying a premium per square footage for that real estate. Whereas you could put them all in an off-site space in a much less expensive piece of real estate where your lease is less or the cost of the real estate is less. And then it makes a lot more sense to do that. And so this transition getting from one practice all the way up to five, six, seven is really vital. And the faster you can do that, the better because it then allows you to spin off enough cash to get the off-site location for these centralized services and to get that in a place where the cost of real estate is drastically reduced rather than the prime real estate we're paying for for our dental practices. So over time we've seen these group practices evolve and very slowly now we're beginning to see the dental service organizations come in and actually teach us some of the principles that they have learned as they have gone and gotten their MBAs at various schools around the country. I know that I've worked with uh, the MBA students at the Harvard Business School and at MIT and at Stanford and some of these other institutions, and they're really a sharp bunch. And just as we are specialized in our knowledge of dentistry, they are specialized in their knowledge of how to do business. And so at that point when you've got enough practices You can actually have this centralized location. You can then begin to hire some of these MBAs to come in and run the business much more efficiently and much more effectively. And so we begin to see them coming in and these DSOs buying up practices, centralizing them. And they just quickly overcome this hurdle of one to five or one to seven practices by buying six, seven, eight, ten, even 20 practices in one swoop. And that just simplifies life for them. Clearly, there's other complications. I'm not trying to say life gets uh, simple once you've got to that. But it allows you to do a lot more. And so they come in and they say, right, we need to standardize the way things are done. And we need to decide on what is our brand. Are we going to be Taco Bell? Are we going to be McDonald's? Are we going to be a nice restaurant that has tablecloths? What are we going to be? And then let's run everything that same way so that we can have some standardization and have a similar feel and similar experience for every employee, but most importantly for every client that comes to visit our dental office and our dental brand. And that takes some education because, I don't know about the rest of you, but as I attended Tufts dental school that just wasn't something that I was taught. And so it really takes a lot of education and really takes some Uh, instruction, if you will, helping people see, wow, if we were to actually be unified, we'd be better off than if we were to do this on our own. That kind of brings us up to date and looking from our past, starting out as barbers and then moving to dentists and then going to solo practices, group practices, centralized and standardized group practices, and then dental service organizations coming in and buying up uh, big chunks of practices and consolidating them and putting in these centralized back services in separate locations where the cost of the real estate is much less than our prime real estate where we have our dental offices. So the real question is, what's next? And that's what I'd like to spend some time talking to you about. I know many of you have reached out to me and asked that question. This is one of the reasons why I've been writing about this, talking about this, and lecturing about this, and now doing the podcast. What do I do? I can see what's happened. I can see where we're going. What do I do? Do I just wait and sit around? Or do I give in and sell to one of these DSOs? Or do I perhaps centralize my office and standardize my office and empower my team members? And I don't know that there's a clear right or wrong here. Each of us are in a different phase in our career. Each of us have different objectives. And each of us have the opportunity to either grow our practices and flourish or to actually sell our practices, give up the business end, and just focus on the practice of dentistry. So I would ask yourself a really tough question. What got you into the profession of dentistry? Was it the running the business part, or was it actually serving patients and doing dentistry? And my experience has been there's different answers to that question depending on which dentist you speak with. I know that there are few dentists That say, wow, I love balance sheets and P&Ls, and I love hiring and firing staff, and payroll is one of my favorite things to do. And so my inclination is that for many of you, you may be in that camp of, "Um, I really don't like P&Ls, and balance sheets don't get me excited, and hiring and firing doesn't make me giddy, and on the contrary, what I like doing is spending my time with patients doing dentistry on patients, and just focusing on being with them and doing great service for them. And I think you can do that, and I think many dentists have not done that, but actually become business owners for several different reasons, but I would propose that perhaps the number one reason that they've done that for is they've never been able to find a great boss to work for. And what I mean by that is if you find a great boss, that boss is empowering. That boss gives you some autonomy. That boss gives you phenomenal leadership and guidance and vision, and that boss is energizing. And I'd ask you to you know, raise your hand where you are and say you know, out loud, yes, I've either worked for a boss like that or no, I've not. And my sense is many of you are saying to yourself, I've actually uh, never worked for someone like that. And you're not raising your hand to the my question of uh, what type of boss have you worked with. And that's actually the reason why you left being an associate or came right out of dental school and opened up your own practice, is you felt like you wouldn't have the freedom of expression, you wouldn't have uh, the ability to actually choose which direction you wanted to go, you wouldn't have a say in how things were running, and most importantly, you wouldn't have autonomy. And so that's why you own your own dental practices. And so to you, I would say, If you're in that group, you have a chance right now to either become an extraordinary boss to your employees or you have the opportunity to actually get involved with a dental service organization, and I'd be happy to make introductions for you or happy to spend more time speaking to you about that. Either way, whether you want to become the better boss or whether you want to actually sell and become part of one of these dental service organizations, let's talk because I think there's some extraordinary opportunities going either direction, and there's also a lot of cons going either direction. Let's talk. Feel free to reach out to me and uh, I'd love to have that conversation. But let's look now at what happens as we see these dental service organizations come into play and what we've seen in a very short period of time is they own about 15% of all dental offices in the United States. And as we sit down and do our calculations, it appears that there's about 170,000 dentists and that means there's about 110,000 dental offices. We see that many of these dental offices are so small typically with single dentists and one to three, maybe four chairs, that they just aren't spending off enough cash to keep up with the technology that's coming out, meaning they they just don't have the extra cash to go out and buy a 3D imaging machine, or they don't have the extra cash to go out and buy a digital scanner, let alone a milling machine to make their restorations in-house. And I'm not saying that you have to do, do 3D scanning, and I'm not saying that you need to do digital impressions, nor you need to own a milling machine. But what I'm getting at is the equipment that dentists are buying now is a lot more costly and these small solo practices and small two to three or even four chair offices just aren't spinning off enough cash. Typically, I know there'll be some exceptions, but typically they're just not spinning off enough cash to be able and go and do that. And so that means that we have patients going and perhaps needing implants, but not getting 3D images and not having the 3D planning done virtually for those implants, and implants being placed, that they're going in and they're doing okay, but they're not placed as accurately as if they are guided with the 3D images. And so, if you will, the patients are getting a service, but that service is actually not as good as someone who is getting a 3D scan and having that planned, and uh, virtually, and having that guided during the surgery. And and I say that not to be disparaging, and I'm saying that not to be insulting in any way, but that's that's just the facts of the matter, is if you can plan something virtually, and uh, have a a guide, you get more precision. And so as time goes on, that will then become the standard of care. And if you're in an office that's small like that, you just can't warrant those expenses. And so it will turn out over time that those offices will be, or those patients actually, will be best served to actually be purchased by a group practice or purchased by a DSO and rolled up. And actually to sell those offices and shut them down and have These dentists come and work in a venue where there are more dentists and more cash being spun off to have 3D imaging machines, digital scanners, milling machines, and all of the things that are beginning to become more mainstream in dentistry, uh, even lasers. And we're seeing our profession really change and evolve. If you look back with me, you know, 20, 30 years, all of that was just futuristic talk and now we're seeing it become mainstream, and it it will soon become the standard of care. So we see then the 110,000 dental offices in the United States then contracting to 70,000, maybe 80,000 dental offices, and that then gets rid of all of the smaller offices, and we see more and more of these larger places. As these DSOs flourish, so we see dental insurance companies Hiring dentists to come and work for the dental insurance company directly. That means dental insurance companies become the largest DSO or consolidated dental providers. As you consider a Delta Dental or a Blue Cross or an Aetna or some of these other dental insurance companies and look at your patients, imagine if those patients received on the next explanation of benefits something on the back of them saying, You are going to see Dr. Smith right now. If you went to see Dr. Jones or Dr. Brown or Dr. Goodwin, that would actually be in network with us. We would charge you less, your expenses would be less, and you'd get the same quality of service that you're getting right now from Dr. Smith. And some of you will say, well, that's actually not happening. And what I can tell you is if it's not happening to you now, um, it is coming very shortly because that's happening in many, many states and with more and more patients as they are getting treatment from you and they are getting their EOBs and on the back of their EOBs that they're seeing at home, they're seeing you could go to these three other dentists. They're in network with us. They would charge you less and you'd get the same quality of service, and uh, we just wanted to make you aware of that. From that, those dentists are actually working for the dental insurance company. They are then bringing those patients into this huge national group of dental providers working directly for the dental insurance, and all of a sudden, the dental insurance has become the largest provider of dental care in the country, and so we then see the dental insurances having more and more of a role, having more and more influence, and that's actually at a certain level a good thing because it actually brings the cost of dentistry down to patients. Now many of you are thinking, wow, if that's going to decrease the cost to the patient, that means as a dentist I'm going to get paid less, and what I'm here to say is that doesn't have to be, and that's one of the reasons I spent the last decade focused on the Toyota production system, because what Toyota has taught us is that we can do more with less. The patients can have a better experience. We don't need to put our roller skates on and start trying to see five patients simultaneously. but It can be much more efficient and much easier on our bodies. And we can actually have a little more time off than we currently do if we will shift to the Toyota production system rather than shifting to the do the best that I can after dental school system. And I think... That's inevitably uh, what we're all working with. We're all working very hard, we're doing the very best that we can, but nobody's actually sat down with us and actually taught us how to run a business, taught us manufacturing, taught us efficiency in manufacturing, and most importantly, how you get all of that to coincide. And that's uh, one of the beauties that we've seen from the Toyota production system, is they're specialists in this, and really the best on the planet at doing manufacturing and increasing profits, not forcing you to work harder and making things be more efficient and cost less to do. And so just a wonderful melding, if you will, of all of these different components into one simple system. So as the dental insurances grow, we'll see that they are very interesting for the private equity shops to buy. But most importantly, we'll begin to see medical insurance companies coming in and buying up entire dental insurance companies. And then finally, after all these years of the mouth being dissociated from the rest of the body, and I'm not sure anybody knows why that is, but that's effectively what's happened, is all of the physicians have said, you know, the mouth is just not connected to the rest of the body. You are dentists, we are doctors. We'll then see finally a union of the dentistry and medical industries coming together, and dentists will become specialists, and they will be called I suspect doctors, as we are called, but no longer dentists, but actually doctors and their specialty will be dentistry, just like we have physicians and their specialty might be nephrology or oncology or some of these other organs of the body. That will bring prices down dramatically to patients because then you've got these huge companies that are able to do things with pricing that a small single dentist can't do, a group practice can't do, a DSO is getting into the size where it begins to have a few of those advantages, and a dental insurance company uh, can do a lot of those things. You can imagine now, uh, my understanding is, we have some DSOs that are reaching up into the almost a 1,000 dental offices, and if there's Uh, 110,000 dental offices, and somebody has 1,000, that means they've got 1%. And that might sound really good, and my congratulations to that DSO and some of those DSOs that are approaching 1,000 offices. But imagine if you have some group of dentists that are working for a dental insurance company, and that dental insurance company immediately has 10,000 or 20,000 or 30 or 40,000 dental offices effectively working for them, meaning the dentists are working for them. That's a completely different scale. And you can then see how they can leverage and do things that a 1,000 dental office DSO just will never be able to do. And you can then also see why buying a dental insurance company becomes so much more attractive now because they actually have something to buy rather than just a book of clients that get billed to them or through them. And so we're going to see some big changes uh, happening. Many of you are aware of KKR from New York, a private equity shop, going in and buying a majority stake in Heartland Dental, and that happened in 2017. And that's just the beginning of how this is all going to play out. We'll see some of these private equity shops doing this, but more and more of the dental insurance companies doing it and it's happening right now. So uh, I would love to chat with you more about this. I think that you're at a crossroads. You can either say, I'm gonna grow my business and become something even better and bigger than I currently am. And I would say do that if you have more of a business bent or if you like uh, balance sheets and profit and loss statements. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. I'd love to chat with you more about the options of what you can do to posture your practice as you grow and focus just on doing the dental care and allowing someone in to central and allowing someone in to do the back end of it, the centralized uh, billing, centralized submission to insurance, a call center, and some of these other things. And uh, I'd love to speak with you more about that. Most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this episode of What's Next Dentistry. Have a great day.